On today's show, the home Warriors are back and get their first win in the series against the Kings. How has momentum shifted in this series? Plus, the word of the day is groin and injury issues crop up again for Kawhi Leonard. It's all coming up today on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome to Locked On NBA. I'm Wes Goldberg here with Adam Mares. However you might be listening on YouTube, Odyssey, or your favorite podcast app, thanks for making Locked On NBA your first listen every day. We're going to talk about some of the questionable ejections in 76ers nets and the latest on Kawhi Leonard's injury and what that means for Clippers' sons. But let's start with the Warriors going back home to San Francisco and beating the Kings to get their first win in the series. Uh, they get out to a hot start. It never really feels like that game was in question. They did it without Draymond Green, who, of course, was suspended for the stomp. And they have another game in San Francisco coming up over the weekend. So, Adam, what stood out to you about this game? And do you think uh, the series, do you think about the series differently now that it's 2-1? Of course, you have to. I mean, this was a game that was tailor-made for the Sacramento Kings to slam the door shut. You didn't want to let doubt creep into your mind. They had played a near-perfect first two games at home protecting home court. But we know that the Warriors can't win on the road, but they can, but they're very, very good in their home building. So when you get not just one lucky break with Draymond being suspended, but you get another one with Gary Payton not being available tonight with the sickness. To me, this was, I don't want to call it a must win because I still think Sacramento has a great chance at this, but mm -hmm. their odds, I mean, really take a hit with blowing this game in the fashion that they did. It wasn't particularly close. They get outscored in every single quarter except for the third in which they tied. To me, this is a huge blow to them. Yeah, on one hand, you're like, well, Draymond Green was suspended for this one. This is your chance to go into San Francisco, stomp them, you know, no pun intended, I guess, but and go up 3 nothing without one of their best players on the court. But I actually thought the Warriors played pretty well without Draymond. I don't think they won this game because they didn't have Draymond. I don't think that that's not what I'm trying to say. But they started Jordan Poole. They played wide open. Jordan Poole had a much better game at home than he did on the road. He wasn't really shooting that well, but he wasn't like, the negative that he was uh, in Sacramento in terms of turnovers and then defensively what he's not providing. But um, so he was better. There was more space. There was more uh, ball creation and, and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know. I, mean, I you watch that Warriors uh, team tonight and it felt like last year's finals team. They were flattening out the opposing offense, you know, with, with all their defensive activity, doubling on, on screens and all this stuff. They were keeping, the Kings out of the paint, even though that was sort of the obvious thing that the Kings wanted to do, like they did in the first two games in Sacramento. Steph was doing Steph things. The game was up and down, fast paced. They're grabbing those long rebounds and, and getting those second chance opportunities. I mean, that was basically how they beat the Celtics in the finals, how they got to the finals in the first place. Hadn't really seen that, especially the rebounding thing in the first two games of this series. And then they got the rebounding edge in this one. Credit to Gavon Looney, Andrew Wiggins kind of looked like Andrew Wiggins again. Um, and so those guys stepped up and like I said, Steph Curry scoring, what was it? 33 points that he ended up with. I mean, he was awesome. So, um, yeah, it looked like the last year's finals team. I don't know if it's sustainable. I guess that's the big question for them. Well, this was a, it's always an interesting and unique situation circumstance when a team like the Kings who has a traditional center and DeMontis Sabonis, yes, he has a, a, you know, the passing and, and he's pretty versatile, but he's still a true center. He's not like a switch big when you go super small 
and you get to bring out another shooter. So you're going with Curry, Thompson, and Poole with Wiggins, who's a good three-point shooter, and tonight goes three of six. That's always a recipe for, hey, this is going to get difficult. He's going to have to be out on the perimeter a lot. You're going to be running around. And then you just look at the atypical numbers tonight. 53-point attempts from the Warriors, 47 from the Kings. That just creates an, a very high variance. And I just think the Kings managed it kind of poorly. This is what the Warriors did to teams last year, though. Like from from Memphis to Dallas to whoever, they just get the opponent to play their game. I don't think the Kings wanted to take 47 threes. Maybe 40, 35 to 40, that seems about right. But Sabonis played most of the offense on the perimeter, even though there's no Draymond Green. Kevon Looney wasn't always in the game when Sabonis was in. And so there were times where it's just like, why don't you get into the into the post? And I thought their best like paint action tonight for the Kings was really just pick and roll stuff, getting Sabonis on the move with the Aaron Fox sort of facilitating. But in terms of just getting him down low and posting him up, he just seemed out of sorts. I thought he was just like the rhythm wasn't right for him. He was waiting too long. He was kind of almost getting too deep uh, on those post seals and stuff like that. Instead of just sort of like, I, I felt there was a lot of opportunities that he could have had where it was just like two dribbles and then just kind of post up and, and, and take a shot over Jermichael Green or even Kevon Looney who played really good defense against him. But it's just weird like how the Warriors, like again in the playoffs from last year, got teams to play like this, play their game, uh, and it plays into their hands, and they did that today uh, today to the Kings. And you kind of almost glossed over Looney, just kind of say it, you know, just rarely mentioning him there. Yeah. Four points, 20 rebounds. By the way, nine offensive nine rebounds, and then nine assists on top of that. And that he should have gotten one more. He would have gotten the double-double with no points. It would have been, would have been a very Draymond-esque of him filling in yeah. for Draymond to get yeah. a double-double a, a with, uh, without the point part. But the nine offensive boards is insane, and it honestly doesn't highlight his best attribute tonight, which was his defense on DeMontis yeah. Bonus. And that brings me to what is – I mean, if you win this game, obviously you're up three games to zero. Your margin for error is enormous. You have two games back uh, you know, in Sacramento, so it's all but a lock that you'll win this. But now you start to look at some of the margins here and some of the things that have gone on. DeMontis Bonus, I believe, is going to be a minus 28 overall in a series that he is up two games to one. Yeah. That is a bad sign for a team when he is such an integral part and they've lost the minutes despite winning the games. To me, there are some indicators here where, again, Sacramento has had such a great year and done so many big things. But to lose this opportunity and not just lose it, they scored 97 points against a team missing their best defensive player. Yep. To me, this is going to really haunt them and put a lot of pressure on them in game four. I mean, the difference in, in the first two games, because they haven't been shooting well the entire series, but the, they they were winning the rebounding battle. They were winning the turnover battle tonight. Uh, they turned the ball over 15 times. Yep. Golden State turned it over 11. They got out-rebounded 69 to 60. So, like, those sort of four-factor things, uh, they were winning all of them mostly and then uh, in the first two games, and then they didn't really win any of them. Uh, even the free-throw difference, it was 23 to 23. So they didn't get an advantage there where they were getting that advantage in Sacramento. Uh, they haven't been shooting well all series. And tonight they shot 23.9% from three-point range. Mm. I think that's sort of the story going forward for Sacramento, right? Is how can you get those shooting numbers going again? Like Kevin Herter has not had a good series shooting the ball. You just mentioned Sabonis. Um, he needs to get that efficiency going up. It feels like De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk outside of those two. And this was not a good right. Malik Monk game. We knew that was right. the other yep. shoe was going to drop on that eventually. Yeah. But um, other than those two guys, the entire series, nobody else has really made shots. Somebody else has to step up and make shots, especially if the Warriors have sort of figured this thing out. When people talk about, I mean, one of the big cliches, but I think it's an appropriate, like a, a true one, 
is the idea of experience in the playoffs mattering. And this was one of those games that was just going to be different than the previous ones based on who was available. The Warriors tonight look like a team that has been through so many different battles. They've been through so many adjustments and circumstances, and they were ready for it. And Sacramento tonight looked like a team that had not been through all of those and wasn't able yeah. to adjust on the fly. So a little, a little jumpy, right? Four turnovers in the first five minutes for them. Yeah. I, I but I, but it's, it isn't even jumpy. It's like, when you have to throw out the game plan entirely and say, hey, I know we just won two games doing this one thing, but now game three is going to require a completely different thing. It's a completely different team in a lot of ways, and we have to do something different. And they just looked uncomfortable the whole night. Again, 31 in the third quarter, but you get 20 points in the first, 21 in the second, 25 in the fourth, most of which was just garbage time. They just couldn't get it done tonight against the team that they should have been able to find some kind of way in, whether that was offensive rebounds, drawing fouls, or what have you? They just weren't able to get there. I was really impressed. Of, I was really impressed with Golden State's defensive effort. Like they were meeting up the Kings up high. Yeah, you, you ended up giving up some mid-range stuff to De'Aaron Fox, who had another good game. But I thought ultimately it got the Kings out of their offense, and and the Warriors were able to get into their offense and play in transition, get those transition uh, uh, opportunities, and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I think the Kings have some stuff that they need to figure out. I'm not. I still kind of like the Kings in this series. But I don't feel nearly as good about that if I'm a Kings fan after this game because if that again it just comes it comes back down to the shooting like if that doesn't turn around for Sacramento if they're not making those threes and the Warriors are then yeah why can't the Warriors come back from two one they came back from two one in the uh, in the finals you know what I mean like this is a team that yeah. can do it so. I I also think you just have to look at some of the indicators like some of the messages that are sent for example. This is the number one offense in the history of the NBA statistically. Tonight, they put up a 94.2 offensive rating. Yeah, It's one of those things. I think this was true of Memphis, where Memphis was had the best home record in the NBA. You drop game one, it makes you question that that confidence that you had and, hey, this is where we're good. When you lose in game one, it can rattle your confidence. When you're the number one offense and you get held, not just a little bit, like, okay, we missed some shots or whatever, but a 94 offensive rating. That, I think, sends a little bit of a message, and it shifts the pressure, in my opinion, all the way over into the Sacramento Kings. You win on Thursday, I think you win the series. You lose yep. that game, and you have to go back to Sacramento, now tied up, and it becomes a three-game series. And, oh, by the way, the Warriors have just galvanized themselves. They've gotten more comfortable with Andrew Wiggins, who obviously missed two months for some reason. I think that this becomes a story where it's like, man, did we just allow – this sleeping giant to wake up yeah. and now here they are with their confidence. I think game four is huge and I'll go ahead and say it. This seems a little, a little too strong, but I'll go ahead and go with it. Winner of game four wins the series. I think I'm with you on that. I think I'm with you on that. Um, no Gary Payton, the second also talking about how good the Warriors defense was. They did it right. without GP two, who was ruled out late with like general illness. I guess he's got like flu like symptoms and stuff like that. So um, they might get him back, obviously going to get Draymond back. And so that obviously helps the Warriors. I don't know. I still think that going into this game after the, I, I didn't think the Kings were going to sweep the Warriors. If the Warriors were going to win a game <laughs> in the series, this was the one right. First game back at home in San Francisco, blah, blah, blah. Um, even without Draymond, I, I still felt pretty good about the Warriors going into this one, but, uh, you're right. It, the pressure is now on the Kings and, and if they can get, if they can get game four on Sunday, man, that what is that? Three 30 Eastern time. We'll see. If they get it, um, it's over. I mean, that's the yeah. that's the thing. The ball is still in their court. I think they're yes. still favored overall. But man, game four just up the pressure for them. 
let's go to the Eastern Conference. The 76ers took a 3-0 series lead over the Brooklyn Nets, but did they catch a break from the officials? We're going to talk about that next, but first, today's episode of Locked On NBA is brought to you by the Nissan Aria, Nissan's most electric player of the week, is brought to you by the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. Let's give it to Kevon Looney. How's that? 20 rebounds, 9 assists, just 4 points in the Warriors' win over the Kings. I thought he was... I don't know, the second most important player for the Warriors tonight. You could argue maybe Andrew Andrew Wiggins. But, yeah, like we talked about, his defense on Sabonis, everything he was doing to protect the paint, especially with Draymond out. You could say it was stunningly powerful, just like the (laughs) Nissan Aria. They want me to incorporate some Aria keywords, right? Like electric, fiercely elegant. How about this one, Adam? Reliable. Like the Nissan Aria, Kevon Looney delivers on duality, a combination of strength and reliability could i say even elegance i guess it depends on what well. you think about the braids and the headband i don't know uh the 2023 nissan aria packs pin to your seat power and premium intelligence all in one ev the all-new all-electric 2023 nissan aria the ev for people who love to drive shop now at nissanusa.com thank you for making locked on nba your first listen every day The 76ers take a 3-0 lead in the series after a wild one in Brooklyn. Close game late. James Harden gets ejected at the end of the third quarter uh, for apparently uh, elbowing Royce O'Neal in the groin. Apparently. Hold up. Hold hold up. I I take offense to how you're describing this. Hold on a second. We have to go all the way back on this one to first three minutes of the game. Maybe maybe the first five minutes. Joel Embiid kicks Nick Claxton in the groin. And is not thrown out because he missed the ball. He missed the groin. He missed, he missed the, groin. the groin. Yes. And Harden had his best shot of the game when he when he nailed O'Neal right in the groin. So uh, I, would you say he nailed him? We got to get to this, man. Would you say I mean, that maybe Harden not a nail? Nail nail seems tough. Nail's like a UFC fighter, kind of just throwing a, a haymaker. <laughs> I don't know. It was. I thought like Harden talked about it after the uh, after the game in the locker room. He thought it was ridiculous. Obviously, not shocking at all, given everything about James Harden. But can you imagine if James Harden was like, "Yeah, man, my bad." There's yeah, no I just that was happen. brain fart on me. I didn't think the ref was going to see it. You know, they're usually not watching me with these calls or whatever. Like, no, no, he was like, I didn't even hit him in the groin. And like everybody just keeps saying groin when you talk about the first three minutes of the Embiid, like it was in the groin region, but he didn't hit him in the groin. And then right. Harden with the groin, and then Harden saying groin, and everybody was saying groin. Uh, a lot of groin talk, but a lot of groin talk. A lot of groin talk. Um, I don't know. I didn't think it was that egregious. I didn't think he should have been. To me, it did look like just him using his off arm to try to move O'Neal, which if you wanted to call that a regular foul, I'm good with it. But for the flagrant two there, that to me was a little much. Uh, I don't know if it was a makeup ejection based on the Embiid stuff, but I, the the Harden thing in a vacuum felt like a little, a little too overreactionary to me by the officials. And then later in the game, Nick Claxton, who was having yes. a phenomenal game, yes. dunked all over Joel Embiid. Second time. All over him. And flexes on him. Now, was the flex stupid? Yes. Did it yes. toe the line of what would typically get a technical in a regular season? Yes. But he gets thrown out by Tony Brothers. And that decided the game. 
Yep. That decision to throw him out decided the game. And here's what's weird about this, West. You could also did. argue that the decision not to throw him beat out earlier decided the game, but I'm sorry. It did. And, and this is what I'm getting at. But by the way, Joel beat had a horrible game. He makes a game-saving block, which was a phenomenal play. It was really his only good play of like the entire fourth quarter. He had nothing but terrible plays. And he had a good play, that game-saving, maybe the biggest play of the game, to rotate over and get a block on Spencer Dinwiddie. But opposite side of the paint from the upper, like from the free throw line to get that, like at the very last millisecond before it would have been in goaltend. Yeah, it was a great block. But this would have been a disaster from Joel Embiid. Five of 13 from the field, 14 points, 10 rebounds, just uh, five turnovers. He had two assists and five turnovers. It was a really rough game from him. And I just felt like Brooklyn, who really brought it in this game, I just thought Brooklyn was a little bit in his head. Claxton a little bit in his head, just taking it to him. Yeah. And then he gets thrown out. And I sit here and I think, after the game, they explained this, but you knew all along. So Embiid, early on in this game, that kick was intentional. James Harden, I don't know. Like, James Harden, I think, was trying to push off. He was doing a right. patented James Harden, like, where he, you know, he's trying to, like, disguise a, a little bit of his initiating contact. But I don't think he was trying to punch him in the in the nuts. Let's be honest. This is what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, no, he, that's the thing is Harden tries to, to hide it, and you go low when you're trying to hide it. If you go up high at the neck, that's right. an automatic, flagrant, whatever it's going to be. And obviously, the official could see it easier. Like, if you're going to push the guy out of the way... That's where you go to the midsection. I mean, that's... But Embiid's was on purpose. Like, I don't know yes, if he was 100%. trying to kick him in the groin, but he was trying to kick him. Like, he was trying to kick was, Nick Claxton. He intended I don't know to hurt Nick Claxton. Yeah. That was a, it was a counterpunch. Counter and they left him in with the flagrant one and then gave the flagrant two to, to, to Harden, and it was just absolutely absurd. But then to put the cherry on top of throwing out Nick Claxton, when you knew, everybody in the building knew when Nick Claxton went out, they brought in Dorian Finney-Smith to guard Embiid. Yep. Claxton's small enough already is in a mismatch, but Dorian Finney-Smith, the game was over. And shouts to Tyreek Maxey, who did a great yes. job. I mean, he was phenomenal. Ten straight in the game. points in the fourth quarter. Unbelievable. He, he still had to go out and, and, and win it, and he hit it with some, some really clutch shots in this game. But I'm sorry. The details of the basketball part of this game are like the second story. The first story yeah. is the crazy sequence of decisions. Which, it, it's a shame because you mentioned the defense and, and Nick Claxton, what he was doing to bother Joel Embiid. They were totally in in Philly's head. And right. and the Sixers are susceptible to kind of getting in their head, right? You can shake the 76ers. I think that much has been proven. Yeah. And the Brooklyn and Brook, I respect it. Like their whole strategy was let's just piss them off. And right. from the very get-go, it was Claxton, it was <laughs> dunking on Embiid and, and flexing and doing all that stuff. Getting getting Embiid all riled up, the the constant doubles before Embiid even got the ball, just to mess with him a little bit, like the the ball pressure from half court on, like they were just they were just out there to make the 76ers angry, and it worked, <laughs> and it definitely worked, and they got Harden ejected, and they probably should have gotten Embiid ejected, but you're right, like despite that great story, it felt like Brooklyn could have could have stole this game, maybe should have stole this game if not for the questionable officiating, and and that becomes the story after this one. Embiid, do you think he should have been ejected for the first one? Like, I'll be honest, early on in this game, I didn't think he should be ejected. I, but I did think it was like an intentional kick or what have you. But I just am not a fan of ejecting players in, in general. Yeah. It's my default position. But if you told if you're, me that, If you're going to eject Claxton and Harden for what they got ejected for... If you were to rank the, the offenses for which one was worse... It beats easily the worst of the three yes. and the, be the one that didn't get kicked out is so crazy. So I don't think any of them should have been kicked out. I, I just, it's the playoffs, man. There's gotta be a little bit of a different rule for this or otherwise. And, and here's the thing, Wes, this playoffs, I hate talking about officiating just because I think it's Same. like the lowest the form yep. of, of conversation, but this playoffs, it's unfortunately been inescapable. 
players in foul trouble, players suspended, technical fouls, guys being thrown yeah. out. I'm looking at this going, what is this league right now? What is this? It's absurd. This is, this is like NFL playoffs where you're like, was that a catch or not a catch? And yeah, like yeah. you do an hour on radio of like, was this a catch or not a catch? And now in the NBA, we get the fortunate uh, or unfortunate assignment of being like, is this a flagrant two or not a flagrant two? Is Should this be an ejection or not an ejection? Like we don't even really know anymore. I forget what NBA player tweeted. It was straight up just like, I, what's the difference between a flagrant one and a flagrant two? I don't know anymore. Um, and, and so you're right. It is, it's the worst kind of sports talk radio is officiating. It's never good. Nobody goes into a game wanting to talk about the officiating and it feels like every fan wants to leave every game talk, blaming the officials for their team losing. But, um, in this right instance, now. you have to talk about it because it was such, it, it was it decided the game. Are you not to take anything away from Tyrese Maxey? He, he, he would tell you he decided the game, but. Uh, the officiating is they've got their fingerprints all over this one. Philadelphia, though, I will say it's been an unimpressive 3 0 lead for them. I mean, yes. I don't think Brooklyn's very good and they have no size. I don't think the scheme defensively that they've thrown out there has been necessarily like impressive. Mikhail Bridges has had some good moments, but I don't know. Like you see in the clutch, they're not a team that knows what they're going to do. By the way, Spencer Dinwiddie, horrible in the clutch tonight, as he has been for a lot of the you know, post-trade era of this Nets. They're a team that can be really good for about 43 minutes, but they're not good late in the game. But nonetheless, you look at the 76ers, and I just look at them and I go, the gap between the Nets and their next-round opponent, the Celtics, is immense. Yes. And it is going to be a, a, a bucket of cold water on them if they continue to play this way. There was a period at the end of the regular season where the Sixers looked like world beaters, right? Like they were going to go on to make the NBA Finals. How can you match up with Joel Embiid and all this stuff? But... If Brooklyn has done anything, maybe they kind of threw the book out on on Embiid and say, "Hey, if you double him early in possessions, early in the shot clock, you could really bother him." Um, I thought Embiid could have done a better job of trying to get into the post and establish position, and and James Harden could have been a better playmaker. There's things to counter it, and I'm sure Doc Rivers and that group will figure it out. But yeah, it kind of feels like this is the worst team ever to be up three zero. <laughs> like this is, is the least <laughs> impressive. 3-0 lead I've ever seen. but uh, And I'll say one last thing about Embiid. Sure. He looks exhausted. Yeah. And he looks exhausted in the second quarter. But by the fourth quarter of this game, I mean, it looked like he could barely get up and down the court. Yeah. So, again, just another thing where you have an unimpressive game and you're looking like this. You got three more rounds. You got three more rounds ahead of you. <laughs> Tough sledding, man. Um, all right. Coming up, what Kawhi's injury means for the Clippers and what they're doing to keep these games against the Suns close. It's coming up next. But first. Today's episode of Locked On NBA is brought to you by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit or you get your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop at eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Eligible items only. Exclusion supply. The Suns beat the Clippers 129 to 124. This was a close one at the end. Bones Highland misses an open three that could have cut the deficit to two, but it rims out. Suns make some free throws. They get the win. They go up 2-1 in the series. But uh, this was a Clippers team already without Paul George for the series. Then a few hours before the game, they find out Kawhi Leonard not going to be able to play. He apparently sprained his right knee in game one. 
was able to play through it in game two, but couldn't make it for game three. The Clippers are saying it's unrelated to that right ACL tear that kept him out all of last season. He's going to be day to day going forward. So I don't know what sort of chances I would have given the Clippers in this series, even with Kawhi, despite having one game one, keeping this one close. But now with Kawhi dealing with this injury, uh, it sort of just feels like the series is over to me. Uh, I will I will give the Clippers credit for the way they fought tonight. But I don't know. Like, you're, I, I just still – you and I were sort of talking before recording. Like, I don't know how impressed I am with the Suns in this series, but it just feels like there's no way the Clippers can win this thing if Kawhi Man. is hobbled, they're not playing, and without Paul George already. Well, look, I mean, obviously they're going to need Kawhi Leonard back. They're going to need that, you know, they're going to need to have him to close this out. But hold on a second. So there was no Paul George tonight. There was no Kawhi Leonard. The Clippers had 18 turnovers, which is a lot more than average. The Suns got 45 points from Devin Booker on 18 of 29 shooting, extremely efficient. They get Kevin Durant having an efficient night, including 11 of 11 from the field. You have Torrey Craig going three of four from the three point line. And you squeak by? That's to me. I look at this and I go, Phoenix now has two games where they have had outlier performances shooting. And they're a good shooting team, but they have had outlier, including from Torrey Craig. What was he, six of seven or something like that the other night? Like an incredible yep. five of seven or something like that. Three he has been tonight. shooting the ball really, really well tonight, three of four. And yet they're squeaking by against Bones Highland, um, Zubots, Batum. We get 20 minutes from Mason Plumley. Like, this is – I am unimpressed with the Phoenix Suns. I actually think Same. that they played very well offensively. I don't think they're a very good defensive team with a lot of defensive upside. Oh, by the way, you get a good game from Biombo tonight um, where he ends up a plus 18 in his 11 minutes. So those are the minutes that determine the game. I am unimpressed with Phoenix. I have no idea what the status is of Kawhi Leonard. I mean, he only made it two games in this playoffs. It almost feels like a parody. Um, but if he has anything to give, I just like the Clippers here because I so am, I'm mm. so unimpressed with what I've seen from Phoenix. I guess my biggest question with Kawhi is even if he does play, is this knee sprain going to be bothering him where he's not the guy that he was in the first two games? And really in that first game, man, that yeah. first game, he was unbelievable. In the second game, he was good. Um, but if he could be game one Kawhi, then yeah, I'm with you, man. I think the Clippers can win this series because – yeah, the upside talent, like they have Kawhi at the very top, obviously. But beyond that, like the Suns obviously have more talent at the top of their roster. But then you kind of just go through the rest of the roster and the kind of guys you have to play for 48 minutes. And and the Clippers just sort of come in waves of long physical guys where it kind of feels like the Suns just don't have that depth. And and I'll, I'll like I said, I credit the Clippers. They play really they're playing way harder than the Suns. The ball pressure, sort of the same thing that I was talking about with Brooklyn, how they were pressuring early in the shot clock against against Joel Embiid. Like the the Clippers are just doing that to every Suns player that has the ball, uh, crossing half court. Like Kevin Durant at the end of that game had a hard time just getting the ball across the court because of the ball pressure. I think it was Eric Gordon or, or Norman Powell. I can't remember exactly who it was, but um, like they just have so many guys and they're playing so hard and they're flying around and. They're a good. They're a good shooting team. They have been basically during this like whole Paul George Kawhi Leonard era. So uh, they could shoot with them on balance. They could shoot with the Suns. Um, but if Kawhi is anything other than what he was in Game One, I just I don't see how it how it happens for them in this series. Yeah. I mean, we'll have to see. I mean, obviously, with Kawhi predicting injuries is impossible. Ty Lue right. before the games was asked when he found out that 
uh, Kawhi Leonard would be available. He said like in the middle of the night or something like that. So it's not even like they had a lot of time to prepare yeah. for this. And then and then them saying Kawhi was extremely frustrated. Them just being open about like that's not a good sign. Like it would be one thing if Kawhi was like, yeah, you know, I'll take this one game off, but I'll be back out there. But he sounded very, very fr- apparently very frustrated by this. I just, but the bigger story to me is that the Phoenix Suns have an incredible amount of high end talent. Maybe the most in the NBA between Kevin uh, Durant and Devin Booker, those two alone. And then when you add in Chris Ball, who, by the way, has struggled but closed this game very nicely tonight. Mm-hmm. And then DeAndre Ayton, another guy who, you know, is very talented. That's a lot of top end talent. But past that, they are not a good team. I don't think they have a great identity. And then they have some things going against them. One, I think they I don't think they're a very versatile defensive team. No. And this is part of why they can't stop, you know, even this depleted Clippers team. Um and then on top of that, there is a little bit of a math thing going on here. We just talked about teams that took 50 and 47 threes and the Kings and the Warriors. They took 27 tonight. They have some great shooters, but they are a, a mid-range heavy team. And as great as they are at that, you kind of have to be on fire every single night just to keep up with the math. So um, to me, I'm so, I, I wanted to see what the Suns team looked like in the playoffs before kind of reserving judgment on them. But right now, from where I stand, I, I just think they're very beatable. Yeah, they're really they rely a lot on that mid-range game and even if you basically shoot 50% from mid-range with no free throws, you're like, "Oh, that's an offensive rating of 100." You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's not a great. So, they rely a lot on free throws. They got to the line 46 <laughs> times tonight. 30- they're very good at getting to the line. I mean, they, they are. Their ability to one-on-one and just get by guys is, is impressive. So, they're going to get to the line. That'll help out the math game a lot. It does. And but you're right. Like it does feel like they give up they they sort of uh, turn down a lot of three pointers to sort of dribble into these mid range shots. It's a very disjointed offense. There's still no rhythm. Chris Paul is still trying to figure out what he's doing. Rob Mahoney at the ringer actually had a great story on that this morning. And, and, and if people want more detail on that and, and kind of how it's been an adjustment for Chris Paul, who's sort of just used to controlling the offense. And now he's sort of like this side piece, uh, you know, next to Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. So it's been weird, and and it doesn't feel like there's a, a, lot, a whole lot of time for them to figure it out, especially against this Clippers team that is kind of mucking things up for them and not really letting them get into a flow. So I don't know. To your point, like I'm not like just like the Sixers, like up 3-0. I'm not that impressed with the Suns being up 2-1 against the depleted Clippers, and it feels like the West is now wide open. Um, where I think a lot of people going into the playoffs are like, "Hey, I don't I don't care that the Suns have only played eight games together. You know, they've right. got the talent that they're going to go on." I don't think that that's the case. I don't think that you could say that that's the case for sure. And here's the crazy thing. Coming into tonight through two games, the Suns were averaging 21 and a half free throw attempt or three-point attempts. That's the fewest of any of the 16 playoff teams. The next closest is the Knicks at 29. Yep. Eight more threes per game for the second fewest, Mark. If you just go to the average you know, of the playoff teams, you're somewhere around 33 or 34. So you're talking about 13 or 14 more threes per game. That's a big gap. And again, it's about who they are. Next year, they're going to have a much more, I believe, will have a much more well-rounded roster with better spacing right. and more versatility and defensively and all those things. But right now, you're counting on Tory Craig to be like your main three-point shooter, um, you know, off they of are. the main stars or what have you. And it's just tough. It's going to catch up to him at some point. Yeah, I don't know because you look at the other teams that they could play in this in the. In the West, the Nuggets don't take a ton of threes, and that would be probably the right. team they meet in the next. But if they somehow make it past the Nuggets, who I don't again, that's not a guarantee whatsoever, especially with what we saw from the Suns. Uh, if it's the Kings of the Warriors, or if like these, those are teams that take a ton of threes. I don't know. 
I don't know. Maybe it's the and then the Grizzlies or the Lakers are coming out the other side. I don't know. Those teams don't take a ton of threes. The Lakers take a few more, but uh, maybe maybe there's enough to get away with it. I guess it just depends on the matchups, but yeah. they got to figure out a lot of questions on offense. We'll have to see. I think we have good series in the West, though. I really do. I think I don't think that this Clippers Sun series is over. I mean, we'll see what happens with Kawhi Leonard if he's just out. If that's the news, then that one's over. But uh, I don't think it is. Obviously, Memphis and Lakers is exciting. Um, So, and then Kings, (laughs) Kings Golden State just reclaimed. I think for a second there, I I was going to say the Clippers Suns was the best series. I think Kings Warriors just reclaimed the title for best series in the first round. Oh, it never left for me. That was always the best series. I was looking forward to Suns Clippers the most, and then the Kings went up 2-0. Actually, after that, like halfway through game one, I was like, this is the best series. (laughs) But then Lakers Grizzlies is a lot of fun too, just because of all like the the poking the bear drama stuff. But uh, who, what team, just quickly before we, we leave this one, uh, who you who have you been most impressed by after the first few games uh, in the Western Conference? I mean, I think Denver. If you look at Denver right now, I think they have the third best defensive rating, which nobody saw coming. Yes, they're going up against the Minnesota Timberwolves, but everybody wanted to know what Jamal Murray would look like in the playoffs when they came around again. Well, he just dropped a, another forty piece. He was his almost fifth, my Nissan Player of the Week, but I just had to give it to Loon. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Jamal Murray had his fifth. 40-point game in the playoffs, which is really impressive for a guy that's 26 years old and missed two playoff runs already in his career. Um, So I think you have to say Denver. There was plenty of questions surrounding them coming into this, um, but they've answered a lot of them through two games. Now they go on the road. And if it weren't them, I would say Sacramento. But I'm sorry, Sacramento gave up that crown tonight with this horrible loss. Feels like maybe the everybody's like, ah, oh, the Nuggets got the tough bracket. It's Suns Clippers on their side. They'd be better off being on the other side. I'm like, now I kind of feel like they're on the right side of the bracket. You know what I, I mean? I, I think the, the West is even. This is the thing is the West is really, really these games are. I mean, you go across and you look at Atlanta, you know, you look at the Miami Bucks series, and it, I just it's a little bit less impressive, I think, top to bottom. But the West right now, you just have a lot of teams that have flaws, but they also have some things that are pretty impressive about them. Yeah, I mean, people are predicting literally every team from one through seven <laughs> to maybe make the finals. Poor Timberwolves, not you guys. That'll do it for us today. Thanks for making Locked On NBA your first listen every day. Every day is make sure that you're subscribed and sh- and the show will be back on Monday with the biggest stories from the big NBA playoff weekend. That'll do it. Adam, thanks for joining me. Have a great weekend. You as well.